Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. A massive data breach has leaked several files from covert government agency, The Shop. Among the files is a list of symptoms indicating someone's body has become host to an alien invader. Among the most disturbing traits are sulfurous flatulence, severe abdominal bloating, and unwanted British accents. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What's up, constant readers? And today we are talking about Dreamcatcher the movie, and Josh has just the pleasure of leading this discussion, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, what a fantastic adaptation. Just a true, straightforward adaptation of the source material. You don't see it enough. It's funny because on the drive over here, you picked me up and we were discussing the movie. I was like, it's been a long time I, since I've seen it, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember it being a really faithful adaptation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> well, the first part, not. I mean, there are the concessions you make with an adaptation. Let's begin at the beginning, shall we? Getting a chance to meet all of our four main characters in a similar fashion like we did in the book. Uh, did you think that the introduction to these characters was uh, was faithful and did it give you any different perspectives on the characters than you saw them in the book? I thought it was, for as brief as it was, it was pretty faithful. I wanted more of that. I wanted more of the slower character buildup because the movie is quite long. Yes. <laughs> there, technically, there was time for that. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't give me any insights, though. And of course, probably for time or whatever, they said a lot of what they would have otherwise shown us, too. They took a lot of yeah, shortcuts. There's there's a lot of exposition yeah. once they get into the alien stuff. Uh, you know what? Even before that, mm-hmm. there's a lot of just people saying the thing that things out loud that you it's people informing like the four main characters just like reminding each other of things that they would all know (laughs) it's like they were worried that the audience was going to be real dumb and i get that but i never can fully enjoy a movie that way i do like this movie i'm going to agree with every complaint you guys have about it (laughs) but i like it and i'm gonna watch it again in a few years most of the times we talk about things (laughs) not on brand for me at all (laughs) Yeah, I I liked this. The first half of the movie, like you said, I really like because it almost seems like we are going to get a more character driven story because meeting each of the individuals, although I wish we had gotten more of Beaver's story. Yeah, but it's fairly faithful and makes you if you're not getting any new insight, Mm -hmm. it at least makes you understand the characters as much as the book. There there were a few things that I think worked really well in this movie that the book didn't. I guess I I wasn't as in awe of or didn't understand the gravity of it until seeing it in the movie. And we'll get Mm -hmm. to those things. But 
that was cool. And I kind of wish that the whole movie had had that approach, like with the characters and with some of the story stuff that was wildly yeah. different. <laughs> that we'll get to, of course. Yeah. This movie has a really rare phenomenon that I always I'm always surprised by when it happens, but there are some book adaptations where you cannot say one is better than the other, that the movie is better than the other, uh, the book or the book is better than the movie, but they complement mm-hmm. each other to where you kind of enjoy each of them a little more. As we've talked about in the past, I think Annihilation is one of those mm-hmm. where they are drastically different, but they complement each other in a way that you gain a little knowledge of the other one by enjoying the, you know, right. both of them. Uh, a Clockwork Orange, I think, is one of those. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, I think this movie is one of those. <laughs> I think th- uh, there are scenes in this movie that helped me make sense of scenes in the book that were just either confusing or dumb. I do feel like they tried to fix some things and they they took it they did that by taking it in a completely different direction mm-hmm. for a significant piece of it i did though think you're gonna say this movie has it's like this rare phenomenon of just screen sweeps to <laughs> transition to the next oh scene. my god oh my god oh my god oh my god. god this blew my mind so there are a lot of screen wipes which is always yes. hilarious so many but there's a connection Do you know who wrote the screenplay for this movie? I do not. This screenplay was written by Stephen King. Mm -hmm. He wrote the novel. But the other two writers are William Goldman and Lawrence Kasdan. You might recognize those names because uh, William Goldman was the screenwriter behind, I don't know, All the President's Men. The Princess Bride? (laughs) Misery? What? The people involved in this movie know their shit. (laughs) And uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who directed this as Mm -hmm. well, wrote The Empire Fucking Strikes Back. Are you (laughs) shitting me? And uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He wrote... the, The team behind this movie is insane. So is the star power on the screen. Yes, as uh, CM said at the beginning of the movie, (laughs) this is a very handsome movie. (laughs) Not gonna, what, you know? Oh, man. I don't know how much of my liking of this movie is just that. (laughs) (laughs) At a certain point in the movie, I was, of course, on IMDb, and I had to put my phone down because finding out who wrote this movie (laughs) broke my brain. That's, I mean, I guess sometimes when you just get too much talent in one place, things can go incredibly wrong. Did did IMDb say what happened? <laughs> uh, I, I honestly, I couldn't go back. I, I do not know. The one thing, uh, I, I will agree with you, Ben, that I, I do feel like there are scenes that definitely complement the story. Mm-hmm. The, for instance, one of the things that, and this just could be my interpretation when I read it, but... The movie really helps you get that friendship mm-hmm. all the way through the, you know, the scene when they're around the table at Hole in the Wall and they're they're goofing off and they're having a great time. Even when uh, Beaver and Jonesy run laughing because of McCarthy's farts. <laughs> uh, like, it's the, those little friendship those... things really played. But I did... would have loved this movie if it were, if there were a 
if the first hour were just the setup of yeah. <laughs> like them all hanging out and being buddies. I have a question for you guys though, because I was thinking about that and this kept popping up in my head. If we hadn't read the book and weren't familiar, would those scenes have worked? Because it was throwing no. in a lot of stuff that I think you have to have read the book to understand like, oh, that's these are all in jokes and mm-hmm. things. Yeah. For sure. And you, as always, just found a way more uh, succinct and uh, better way of saying what I was trying to say <laughs> earlier. <laughs> that feeling of like, there are things in this movie that you aren't going to get just mm-hmm. by watching the movie. Yeah. Just like in the book, weirdly, there are things that are made more clear by this movie. Ben, question for you. Yes. How did you feel about the beaver curses? Oh, it was the worst part. Uh, <laughs> okay, weirdly, crazy. weirdly yeah. enough, I hated it, but Jason Lee as beaver is yeah. the best part of the so movie. So great. Yeah. It's just he brings so much <laughs> charm. Mm-hmm. And like even when he's saying the dumbest shit imaginable. <laughs> he pulls it off. Like s- describing the difference between a fuckery and a fuckerow. Like he makes it work. How? He, he does- when, because of doing Kevin Smith movies. Like, the, like, <laughs> that, like because sometimes yeah. like, Kevin Smith has some insane dialogue. It's great dialogue. I love Kevin Smith movies. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I love Mallrats and I'll die on that hill. Knowing that he can deliver just kind of insanity in a charming way. It was, it's perfect for Beaver and it all felt kind of natural. And I feel like we got why. So in the book, we talked about that. We picked apart relentlessly. Beaver really had a way with words <laughs> because reading it on paper doesn't have that mm-hmm. charm. Uh, and the portions of the audiobook that I listened to also didn't kind of have that charm no. with Beaver, mm-hmm. but Jason Lee, like now I Nailed see it. why those characters were like, this is, He's cool. Yeah. And Jason Lee's performance, I think the dialogue that they were all given, he just did the best with it. He made it the most natural. And he actually delivered my favorite moment in the whole movie, like watching it start to finish. The part that delighted me the most still was when he first experiences a McCarthy fart. (laughs) And the look on his face (laughs) is is so perfect. perfect. The way he like delightedly scampers across the room to the door after they leave him in the bedroom yeah. is so great. Yeah. I that scene though with McCarthy burping and farting made my stomach turn. You were like you had your head turned I, I, into the like, wall. You were like movie when you're like put your hands up to your face and you just can't. I was I was touching the neck of my shirt. I was like Fidgeting is terrible. <laughs> you were trying to crawl inside I your hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your guys' thoughts on the memory warehouse? We see that unprompted and very early on. Fucking cool. I love it. Okay, this this movie, the the reason I keep coming back to it, I should save this for the end because it's a cool statement. I'm not going to have anything cool to say. But <laughs> the reason I love this movie is because these there are a few images and things about it that I remember so well that I confused it with what happens in the book. And the memory warehouse is one of those things. Not that I confused, but just that imagery of it mm-hmm. always stuck with me. I think they really pulled off some cool, cool scenes. It it is, and I I love the idea of uh you know memory palace or whatever, mm-hmm. like in the the Hannibal Lecter books. 
It's just, I found it weird, it being introduced early, because all we've gotten so far is just some buddies on a hunting trip, and, like, some light, you know, light, uh, extra paranormal stuff. But then it just cuts from this, like, poker game or whatever they're doing to a very literal image of him, like, pulling out boxes to be burned. Yeah, that's not trusting. That's what I was talking about. Like, not trusting mm-hmm. the audience, not giving us the chance to use our brains and watch the movie. It's more exactly. for general audiences. Like, we don't want to lose anybody, so let's really explain this concept instead of just showing it later, it's, which would have been more impactful. Because, yeah, when they're around this table, and it at first I thought it was going to be a throwaway line. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, Jonesy. That's like your memory, your, yeah. <laughs> your memory palace. And they all laugh. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that they throw that out. To be like this Chekhov's gun, but then they all like turn around, turn to each other, and they're like, "Oh, remember the Memory Palace? Yeah, I remember the Memory Palace. Do you remember the? Me- yeah, let's talk about the Memory. You all remember the Memory Palace? Why are you having this discussion? It's super they beat you unnatural. Over the head with it. Yeah, and it would have been more interesting to watch Jonesy once that possession happens. We get a few small glimpses of very cool imagery of Jonesy looking out the Tracker Brothers office. Mm-hmm. That only happens, what, twice, maybe? Yeah, maybe uh, it happens times? a couple times, but it's not used to great effect. Yeah, it, the first time you go, oh, that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the coolest things in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's just thrown away. We don't get to see... Jonesy is not thrown off in the least by being trapped inside his own head. None of the characters it feels like have the time in this movie to react the way they should to serious or scary moments. Like all the banter, the actors did an amazing job making you feel like they had fun doing those scenes and like, are they really friends? And I liked that. But when it came to those tough moments, it's just like the movie rushed through them. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know. There's, there's a smarter way for me to describe what I'm talking about. And I can't find the words. I would say it's, this movie grinds to a halt when the plot starts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think something that it loses, and I know this is unrealistic for a movie because actors are expensive, but so those first opening chapters where we meet everybody, mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. all happen years apart from each other. Mm-hmm. When we meet them, when they save Duddits, they're a certain age. When they meet, mm-hmm. when they save Josie, they're, a, they're high school graduates. Getting to experience their story with all those touchstones lets you feel the length of that friendship and the solidarity of that friendship. Mm-hmm. When the stuff that happens as kids feels like it could have happened in a month, it yeah. just it isn't enough, I think. There's not enough of an impression that Duddits really had the impact on their lives mm-hmm. that he did. Mm-hmm. Because we're only seeing, as far as anybody watching this movie knows... They knew Duddits for a summer, yeah. and that was it. And real way to phone in the use of dairy. I mean, mm. if you're going to use dairy, use the things we know about dairy. I know that this is before movies really cared about, you know, tying into each other or anything like yeah. that. But there's so much potential for some Easter eggs. It's like they didn't understand what was important to the story in many instances. It's like they were just adjacent to getting the book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt that way about the uh, saving of Duddits. 
Mm. where in the book it felt, I mean, it's still heroic Mm. because they're standing up to these bullies, but there was something so much more powerful about it in the book than how it was portrayed on screen. What did you guys think of how they adapted that? My biggest problem was that in the book, yeah, it seems heroic because you can picture these kids, you know, like standing tall. And, you know, for me, it was that, oh, this is going to come into a great rock fight situation (laughs) where they are going to, you know, have it out with these kids. While in the movie, my problem was I got distracted by the actors actually being children. Does that make sense? Because all I could think of the entire scene is, oh, if they get into this fight, those kids are going to get their asses beat. <laughs> they look like a bunch of little wieners. Yeah. Long story but short, I, mean, that is I just kind wanted of a... to mock these children. <laughs> yeah, you're really taking those kids down wow. a peg. Oh, why did I even start with this? <laughs> Whose side are you on? <laughs> but that does translate. They even say that in the book, that if this fight did turn into a fight, would we would be boned. Yeah. And watching uh, them really hype up Pete as the super fast runner and watching the uh, older kids get kind of scared was pretty fun. It didn't quite work for me. Again, just be, I'm going to keep going back to this. To me, it felt too rushed. Thinking about the other King adaptations we've seen and stories about kids experiencing this uniting event together, I didn't feel the unity in it. And mm-hmm. It, it should have all been there, maybe with different dialogue or a different style directing. It would have been pulled off better. Speak. I wish I could just express myself. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> there was one great dialogue change in this scene, which is after we don't see Tina Schlossinger's pussy. It's when they finally, we came all the way here for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see yeah. him, you pointed it out. We came here for him. him. Yeah. Not yep. that much <laughs> better. Yeah, there you. are there are a few things they they use the R slur only once. Oh, yeah, that and was... uh, Pete gets like punched for it. Yeah, which is not doesn't make up for it, but at least they're showing that these kids are like, oh, that's not super cool. Now let's get into some of the uh, amazing set pieces when this plot really does start to kick off mm-hmm. the car crash. Oof. That was one of the scenes that I didn't feel the impact of in the book at all. In my head, I was just picturing this like sliding off the road a little bit and yeah, hitting something. Yeah. Kind of what uh, Mr. Gray does in the movie later, later on. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of skids into a snowbank. And then he backs out and everything's fine. No, this accident looks painful and you are scared for the characters when it happens so i thought that was brilliant i liked that and the shock the way it's shot of uh it has this like real low shot of the truck driving in this super deep snow Mm. and then suddenly you see them almost like just Mm. near that shot's hit the woman in the road and that's what leads them to immediately ramp into the air and flip over. It looks like a stunt person almost died that day. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it's awesome. a really cool stunt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really, I, I, and again, it goes to like them 
when Henry pulls Pete out of the car and they just laugh They're at giggling, each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a second where I was like, that's written. And then I thought about it and I was like, nah, if I sort of walked away from a car crash that bad, I would lose my mind laughing. I had the same thought because I was like, well, no, he's angry in that. You know, you're you're going through the book in your head as you're mm. seeing all these scenes. But it also helps with their relationships. Like we don't we don't have enough time on screen to see them bickering or getting into an argument and it just supports that camaraderie mm-hmm. more. And this version of Pete's so delightful. This you can't not like Timothy Oliphant. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Although he needs a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also liked Henry because I like Tom Jane. Mm-hmm. I'm not sold on Tom Jane. I know you guys. you're not sold on Tom Jane. Uh, despite right. the fact I can name several movies I really <laughs> like Tom Jane in. I again I think that so the part that I have difficulty with with his performance as Henry is well, I don't buy him as a psychiatrist because I'm like, nope, he's the punisher or he's like shooting his own kid. <laughs> <laughs> and and I like him and I think he's a good actor, but when he's faced with the the eggs. Mm-hmm. No, no, is when he sees Beaver in the bathroom oh, yeah. dead. And, and he's, he's like, just like, duh, damn. His, he tears up at first, <laughs> but then, yeah, he's like, well, shucks. Yeah. Poor Beaver. You would be a, a wreck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can argue that he's in shock because he just walked into his cabin that he left a few hours ago. And it is seemingly covered in meat. God, the virus is so fucking gross. Well, what they could have had him do is start to react to that and then hear something in the other room and find the eggs. And then he doesn't get to have that moment to grieve because Mm -hmm. he's faced with an even worse horror. See, I got the interpretation that they were trying to sell that. He's dead inside? No. (laughs) (laughs) The the mental connection they all have. Like, we we don't get. Well, he already knew. Yeah, he. In yeah, his mind, true. somewhere he knew he was dead. That's why he doesn't have to actually go see. He just sees the boots. You really, he doesn't actually see the body. You really CM'd that. <laughs> you really excused that hard. Because yeah. they do not make that clear in the movie that he knows what happened yeah. already. <laughs> I love it. That's very true. Uh, let's, let's talk about Beaver's death. Let's talk about that oh. bathroom scene. <laughs> okay. You got to go because it, you changed my opinion of it. It is... <laughs> Of course, like the scene that at least I remembered from watching this movie years ago, because it's such a dumb, unnecessary death. <laughs> In the book, it's it's like kind of tense and you get that sense of like, what a dumb way to die. He dies because he's reaching for a toothpick. But when you see it acted <laughs> out... <laughs> <laughs> in a really, really long sequence. So long. In which Jonesy's just fucking around. <laughs> because there's this thing in the toilet. We see the dude's big blown out butthole. That, good job on all the makeup and stuff for yeah. that. I thought yeah, that was great. Great butthole. Um, <laughs> that's not... Well, no, that's what I said. God that's damn it. Words have meaning, Ben. God damn it. She fucking took you down a peg, Ben. Uh, my own words used against me. What the fuck was I saying? It's such a dumb, unnecessary death. There's this thing in the toilet. Okay, that's where we were. You are totally right. It is different seeing it play out because they're doing a lot of cuts between Jonesy looking around for the tape 
and Beave waiting and reaching for the toothpick. And in the book, you know, Josh, you pointed out it's more like, hey, is this thing, it's settled down. Maybe it's it's not as scary as I think it is. And I'm going to reach for this. I have a chance. Well, he doesn't. And he knows that in the movie because every time he reaches for it, the lid pops up and he has to sit back down. And he he's reacting like, oh, my God, that was so terrifying and scary. And but I it's his own fault when it's do doing that, again. that. And then he does it. He reaches for the toothpicks like four times. Four or five times. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It was a bad choice to really let the audience sit with how that does not work. (laughs) Yeah. I think in the book, it doesn't even move the lid until that last strike. It's smart. He just hears it hit. Mm -hmm. And that's why he thinks it's not a big deal. But this just really oversells how dumb Beaver is. It's like they don't understand tension. There was a lot of tension erasing in this movie. Yeah. Again, I I feel like pandering to general audience or just studio. I don't know. I I think this movie reeks of studio involvement because they like got the scripts and were like, none of this makes any sense. (laughs) We got to We got to do a lot of a lot of work to make it make sense. And they overworked Mm -hmm. several scenes. What did you guys think of our favorite? King villain, Colonel Curtis. Of Morgan Freeman. <laughs> how, how uh, is it? Do you think they did it because Kurtz is a reference to another movie? Uh, according to IMDb's <laughs> trivia page, which is, you know, take with a grain of salt. But they, there is one piece that just says General Curtis was named Kurtz in the book, which they changed. So people wouldn't think it's a reference to Apocalypse Now, <laughs> which it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Were, would people, were they worried people would somehow think that was the Kurtz? What? <laughs> this was a sequel to Apocalypse Now in which Kurtz lived? I mean, I don't I have no. I don't know. I thought Morgan Freeman did a great job. He I was, love it. He was, um, he had that, like listening to the book, the voice actor does a great job of making mm. Kurtz intolerable to listen to. Every time he speaks, you're like, oh, I can just, I can feel feel exactly what that character is like. I thought Morgan Freeman pulled that off pretty nicely. He does, but he also, I, I expected, because I remembered him playing yeah. Kurtz. Well, they don't give him a lot to do. True. But I I, I was ready to not like it. I mm. was ready to mm-hmm. be like, you, he's too kindly. It's, <laughs> it's Morgan Freeman. Yeah. How can you see Morgan Freeman and not like him? But he pulls it off. He get you give that feeling of authority and increasing craziness i feel like we lost the insanity though i get the like the authority but even in at the very end he looks intense he doesn't look insane he yeah he seems like he just has his shit together and you would follow him even if what he was doing was questionable It, it makes more sense that he had support of his men i the most egregious thing that this movie didn't do was owen yeah they really mm-hmm. phoned it in on uh, owen, owen may as well have not even been in the movie at all in my opinion well they changed their entire dynamic because owen is just sincerely following kurtz like yeah. there's no reason for him to trust henry and go off on this journey yeah it, the- it didn't make any sense in the movie that he was like okay yeah let's do this and betrayed kurtz he gave him John Wayne's gun, guys. That'll earn you so much loyalty. 
For what purpose? Why was it John Wayne's gun? Why is this a thing that is put into this movie? Why does it have a microchip in it? It was a misdirect because you're not going to think that John Wayne's gun is bugged. That is that is that is very You're true. 100% with, yeah. true. I I love though when we saw that it was bugged we were like Oh, John Wayne really wanted to know where Kurtz was all the time. <laughs> Which is a really dumb joke. I, I, I love the idea of it cutting to just a big wall of TVs, Ozymandias style. It's just John Wayne looking at various military personnel on a big map. He's given away so many guns. <laughs> now... I don't even know what I want to say about this. The uh, emerging of Jonesy slash Mr. Gray and the device they used to tell the two apart being a British accent. Again, I might be biased here, but I love Damien Lewis. And so I thought it was great. I I could not I, recognize wow. him from anything. You keep bringing up this show Life. I, Life I do not know what that is. amazing detective mystery show that only had, I think, two seasons, which is a tragedy because it is awesome. And just watch it. And he was British in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I just, the whole movie, thought he was um, Dominell. What, what's... The guy from the new Star Wars, redheaded guy, he's the bad I, guy, general. I only watched the original film. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind then. Unimportant. I he, just feel like there are so many better ways to show, especially going back to it, we have seen them use the device. This is like when we get the use of him inside looking through the window. Mm-hmm. There are many different movies that have two characters in the same body that have dialogue between them infinitely better ways than why does this alien who is inside Jonesy feel like a British accent when we have not met a British person in this entire movie? Domino Gleason. Hmm. No idea. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, he's cute. Yeah, you took him down a peg, CN. You'll never do that again, will you? (laughs) Note to self, never show CM a picture of a handsome man. Eye candy. (laughs) What were we talking about? Your guys' thoughts on uh, the accent as the... Device. Why does he have an accent? Well, I know from IMDb that he's (laughs) trying to impersonate Malcolm McDowell. Oh. But, uh... You, it's certainly a choice. CM, you reacted like, oh, that makes sense. I see it. Oh, it's brilliant. He does, <laughs> he does this goofy smile. I love which it. Is it's, this- it's McCarthy's weird look that he sees in my head when I was when we were reading the book and they're talking about him getting that like kind of sly, weird look in his eye mm. and on his face. I'm picturing that actor doing that as Mr. Gray. That that really because it's weird. It, it is, is not a, a it smile is very, or look that makes sense in any context. Uh, I, I actually liked it, honestly, because it yeah. seems it it is the face that I imagine an alien that doesn't know what a smile is. Yes. You're trying, trying on the smile. Yeah, it's it is really <laughs> goofy looking. I can't stress that. Enough. I loved the facial expression. I just hated the voice, but it works. <laughs> I hated that uh, Mr. Gray, this alien from outer space is a a proper British gentleman for literally no reason. You are right, but I liked it. (laughs) Um, We find out 
at this point, Pete tells us that Duddits is an alien. What? Okay. Why? I have so. <laughs> yeah, let's go. just let's get it out of the way. I have to clear something up. Throughout all of these episodes, there have been a few thoughts I've had. <laughs> all of them except one were correct. <laughs> the incorrect one is was about Duddits. Just his involvement and what his ultimate purpose was, mm -hmm. because I was confusing the movie and the book, and I kept thinking that he was an alien. And when Ben, when we were talking about the catheter, yes, the yeah, I was like, I I was thinking it was some alien thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remembered. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still digesting it, that change, so you guys go for it. <laughs> you, you think that Pete tells us at this point? Yes. Was this the point that you knew that he was an alien? Because he doesn't. He he says... He gets drunk, what? and he's like, I think Duddits is an alien no. from another no. galaxy what he who says, was sent here to train us to fight evil. absolutely not what he it's says. Verbatim. I don't know. No, not at all. <laughs> what he says is, uh, he's talking about Duddits, and he says, and this is almost a quote, Look at me talking shit about the one perfect person I know. He's so goddamn good that he can't be from this world. Sometimes I think he's not human. Yes. That's what he says. And then after that sentence, he says like three more things. That's later. No. No, it's, it, this is, is that scene. Because yeah. it's while... Oh, well, then that's dumb. It's while the Bi <laughs> while the Byram is like sneaking around. Yes, Plus doing it's, it's, while the Byram is doing a fucking Bugs Bunny routine. <laughs> Oh, okay, the most important question, and only a man can answer this, and I'm sorry to say that. Is it disrespectful after you've been talking about this person whom you love and think more highly of than any other person on the planet or in the galaxy? Is it disrespectful to write his name in your P? <laughs> <laughs> That's the highest form of respect. It really? Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, I, I P U2's name into the snow uh, every winter. As a <laughs> blessing to our podcast. Oh Is that your yeah. winter solstice solstice yeah. ritual? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that not normal? No, it's oh. it's totally normal. Cool. Thanks. So thankfully we have a lot of curvy letters between the two of our names, Sam. <laughs> I don't want to think what about this. <laughs> it helped it's have you have you ever tried to draw with your pee sharply? And can't be done. This is gonna You on don't too long. you don't have the control, man. <laughs> you gotta step up your game. <laughs> Come on. Grow uh, up, Sam. Yeah. Oh, why me? What did I do? Uh, speaking, speaking of uh, peeing hard lines, let's talk about seeing the line. That is the worst. That's a terrible segue. It's barely a thing. Yeah. And Ben, you pointed How out. How dumb is it? Very Donnie Darko. Yes. I, okay. I actually, I love it. <laughs> I'm a Donnie Darko fan too, but... I liked the visual. I thought, okay, yeah, for a movie, mm -hmm. cool. Like something a little more impactful, I think, than the way it's described in the book. Makes sense. My favorite part, though, is when Pete, as a kid, they're showing him first gaining that power. Mm -hmm. And he's just walking around <laughs> yeah. the world, just yeah. spinning his <laughs> The way it works. Because in, like in you, the book. The actor did a great job looking like he was looking at it. For sure. But in the book, the finger motion is not this weird... They do this weird, limp, 
twirly motion. It's, yeah, it's very <laughs> weird. But the the way that it the this like tunnel forms is very mm-hmm. cool. But yes, very funny when it cuts back and you see just the actor and he's like <laughs> trance walking through the woods. Now, uh, maybe one of you can explain this to me. Why Mr. Gray knows he's Mr. Gray and knows somebody has told Jonesy about him? Can't help you there, my man. Yeah, I don't think that's something we missed. So, So this alien knows two things. His name is Mr. Gray and he is a British gentleman. There's there's definitely no him experiencing being human and mm-hmm. any anything about what he was before that. And I miss that. I, I would have liked that. The the fact that we didn't get the bacon scene yes. is oh, really unfortunate. Tragedy. What did you guys think though of their true form? I thought it was cool. I loved it. Why? I love how <laughs> to look so, cool okay. and it so wait, hold I agree disagree with that. Because, okay, so where are we in the story? Are we to the point where Jonesy has been possessed? Can we agree that we're at that point? Because he gets, he makes the dumb faces and he drives off and he picks up Pete. And Pete, of course, does, is like, who are you? You're not Jonesy. Mm -hmm. And they're driving through the wilderness and and Pete says something about Duddits. And Mr. Gray says, oh, why don't you tell me about your friend? Pete says, Bite my bag. And he stops the the snow, the the jet ski, <laughs> the snow jet ski, <laughs> the the s- snow the snow ski do. Um <laughs> and turns around and says, Oh, I'll bite your bag. And then turns into a giant worm and bites Pete in half. Exploding Jonesy's whole body to transform. Yes. <laughs> and all of his clothes. And then putting it back together. And then it's all fine. Well, and that was my question. I wish I could say that this is what the movie was doing. I'm going to try it and see if either of you buy (laughs) it. Sure. No, no, no. That's good. I think that that is just what Jonesy saw happening because that's Mr. Gray's true form. So he saw his true form in that moment as he was killing his friend. And I think he just killed him with the virus. I'll back you up in that we never see Pete's body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I... Yeah, that makes as much sense as anything. Yeah. Because it's just my only problem with that is that at the end of the movie, oh boy, should we even get into that? (laughs) At the end of the movie, the worm is there. Mm -hmm. The whole, Henry's whole theory about it all being in Jonesy's head, thrown out the window, which I'm fine with because I hated that theory. And I don't buy it, Henry. (laughs) 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 Sorry, that's the book. We're on the movie. (laughs) Um... We do get one thing that's very cool. The In the very, very few instances we get in the memory warehouse, we do get the moment from the book that while Mr. Gray is busy killing people and feeding virus to a dog, that Jonesy takes that opportunity to run out and throw files mm-hmm. about Duddits onto a cart and take them. And this was a moment that I really was hoping because it was nice and subtle And I thought it was going to come back to something cool because when we see his warehouse and there's all these little headers, the header says Duddits. And under Duddits, it says uh, it lists four subtopics under Duddits. Dairy, telepathy, favorite things, and broken promises. 
I thought that is some cool foreshadowing to something we're going. No, nothing happens. <laughs> nothing to do with anything. No, because it doesn't tell what they promised him yep. because they didn't. They, like you said earlier, it, they might as well have known this kid for one summer, gotten yeah. superpowers from him, and then <laughs> fucked off. Maybe that was left on the cutting room floor. Maybe. I would be willing to bet there are so many deleted scenes from this movie. Mm-hmm. It would have to be three hours to <laughs> get everything to totally line up. Uh, or okay. just spend less time on the toilet and focus <laughs> <laughs> Uh, remember how the whole point of this blue group is we never show rank. That's a big thing. Why do Owen and Curtis have different colored hazmat suits to show that they are not part of the normal people? <laughs> I just I just saw that and I felt like I wanted to talk about that this movie ignores the rules <laughs> it sets up for itself so blatantly. What did, speaking of just that whole dynamic, what did you guys think of the scene where the, one of his men, he shoots him in the foot, but he does it in the hand in this one. That was pretty cool. It makes him do scouts on her and then blows off his ring finger. That was actually a scene that I really liked for showing Kurtz's craziness because the immediacy and vigor that Morgan Freeman goes about cleaning up the blood does look crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I, I loved that in the book when Kurtz starts cleaning and says, I, you have to clean up your whole your own mess, you know. Mm-hmm. But Morgan Freeman practically dives on the <laughs> ground and starts like scrubbing like that old meth commercial from the night. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> uh, let's, okay. We get a very anticlimactic breakout because Owen's basically not a character in this. Uh, so now our favorite part of the book, the chase is on. <laughs> I feel like this part of the movie didn't even happen. Yeah. yeah. From this point on, it's like, oh, it, when we had the final showdown, it's like, oh, already? Even though it yep. had been a long time. It, it, there, it, This is about, what, an hour from the end of the movie we've gotten to this point? There's still, like there was still a significant mm-hmm. amount of movie left. And I was just like, how? I I turned to you guys and I'm like, how is there possibly (laughs) this much more movie when there's so little that needs to happen? And And so little does happen. Yeah. We had to watch Mr. Gray steal more cars. But we don't. We we don't even see the cop. We just see there's a part of a body that you're really close zoomed in on on the ground and the badge. And then you see the police cruiser drive Mm. away. And that's that scene. Yeah. What? I Why? Don't, I don't know, okay. man. I don't know. We get the detour to pick up Duddits, which in the book, there was some complicated feelings about yep. this picking up Duddits. No, it's five minutes. They show up. Roberta's got them packed. And she's like, carry on, man. No tension. Also, so was Duddits adopted? I mean, must have been. Like, because he's an alien. So- <laughs> Oh, Roberta's freaky. Roberta! Girl. I knew it. (laughs) What? Uh, Why are you staring at me? Because I was waiting for you to do your your catchphrase. 
She oh, freaky. She fre- <laughs> <laughs> Is that my catchphrase? <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with it. I just didn't realize that was my catchphrase. Go back and listen to our Christmas episode. Well, shit. Put that on a t-shirt. Donnie Wahlberg. Did Let's great. talk about oh. his performances at Deadets. It, you did, guys were both you like, you know, Donnie Wahlberg's pretty good. What did I want him to do? Good point. I, I wanted mean, them to cast a, right. <laughs> a different person. But uh, yeah, I, I guess he does his best. It's just every time he was on screen made me cringe. Well, I'm so angry because... no, Okay, yes. Donnie Wahlberg did a great job because as you pointed out, Ben, they gave him as little to do as possible mm-hmm. so as not to risk something offensive. Mm-hmm. Smart move. Did, did not pull it off, but they tried. However... The argument I made, uh, I believe, last episode was the not being able to cast actors with certain disabilities because they have to perform the God's version of them in these scenes. That doesn't happen here. This part could have gone to somebody who could have played it accurately instead of stunt casting uh, a Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was unfortunate. That was a real missed opportunity. He need to remake this movie. I feel like It'd a remake awesome. of this movie could be pretty good. This movie could be... I mean, it's the same thing I said about the book. The, there are good yeah. ideas here. There are just too many ideas. Even in this movie where very little happens. Uh, I have a question that maybe you guys can answer for Probably me. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we're not batting. We're not well, answering I, any questions or solving any problems. Yeah. Well, there has to be an explanation, and I must have missed it because I had my phone to, to do notes. When did Mr. Gray's hood lose its power? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Josh is talking about the the score, I would say, the choices made. <laughs> to set the the tone and the mood in this movie. And every time, except the last time, Jonesy- The third time. Yeah, puts his hood up. It makes this like, whoosh, like this, this musical a, sting. It makes a lightsaber sound is the best I can describe Oh, well, it. that makes sense. Yeah, it was written- <laughs> You do what you know. Yeah, uh, Kasdan was like, screen wipes, screen wipes and lightsabers. We need them. It it didn't do anything for the scene. It didn't really have any meaning. I have no idea. It's just so silly. I I wish they had went further that direction. I this movie could be a serious action movie, or they could have made it the fucking Gremlins two of Stephen King movies. Because mm. like yeah. I said earlier, when the 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 Byram is creeping up on uh, Pete. It is burrowing through the snow exactly like Bugs Bunny would. Yeah. And at one point, Pete throws a bottle in the air and it lands directly in front of the path and it stops and then goes. That is a Bugs Bunny. Yeah, you can almost hear the bonk. Yeah. It runs into it. I, I wish there had been a bonk. The, that is my review of this movie. Needs more bonks. Lean into the silly. Lean into the bonks. <laughs> Needs more bonks. <laughs> I feel like that could be a review on a lot of movies. Uh, I'm just saying stuff, trying to get uh, the other title. Oh, of you're just desperately trying to erase. Yeah, you're pandering for a title. 
What even was it? <laughs> Something about butts. I don't know. Oh, great butthole. <laughs> oh, no. I said it again. <laughs> I'm not going to cut it out. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the finale. <laughs> we we get to the Quabbin Reservoir. The one smart move that this movie made with the finale until it stopped being a smart move was uh, Morgan Freeman taking a helicopter. Helicopter fight. <laughs> helicopter <laughs> fight. Hell yeah. And that is, t- fuck, talk about Chekhov's <laughs> minigun. <laughs> From, we meet Kurtz in the scene where the helicopter flies over hole in the wall and it's a different helicopter and Kurtz is just hovering behind it (laughs) in a slightly smaller helicopter (laughs) with an enormous minigun on it. And the whole movie, I was just, every time we see it, I'm like, when is he gonna fire the (laughs) minigun? And oh boy. I don't even know what happened for the last part of this movie because it, it was just neutered for me. Even though there was this epic fight, you have Kurtz in the air trying to hit Owen, and apparently the guy has never successfully hit anyone except for the one guy that he <laughs> shot in his office that we saw. But he eventually does get him, but not before Owen shoots his helicopter down with his little John Wayne gun, and it explodes. Sharp cut to John Wayne watching it on the monitor being like, yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Morgan Freeman just descends and explodes. And Owen is dead, and I don't care because he never existed. No, is if they had cut out Kurtz and Owen from this movie, you wouldn't know the plot yeah. would remain exactly <laughs> the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't really affect that end at all. Which mm-hmm. there's was, no chase with them. Is it even yeah. clear that there's a chase, or is does no? He just pop no. Up? He all just it shows up in is the helicopter, the GPS tracker in the gun, and you go, oh, yeah. there's okay. no curly, there's nope. there's no like backup plan. Well, it's because the the virus, the uh, the virus, so sorry, doesn't give anyone else telepathy. Yeah, they really let that fall to the wayside, mm. and it doesn't die in the cold. They just yeah. say some people get better. <laughs> Good enough for me, I guess. And all you get of Kurtz wants to get revenge on Owen is Owen tricks him by sending him to the wrong shed so that they can get away. For and no apparent for no reason. Yeah, why do you even have to tell him about Henry at all? Didn't. At and, all. And then when he goes to pick up Henry, instead oh. of just like parking outside, <laughs> he literally, we get that thing that movies do where... You have a character in one place and you think that they're about to go in and open a door and there's Henry and he opens the door and there's no one there. And then it cuts to the other person and they're in a completely different place and oh, they were tricked. Well, it does that and then it cuts to Henry and you're like, oh, he must be in a different shed. And then (laughs) Owen fucking drives a Jeep through the wall. For no reason. I But I did love the following dialogue. He's like, basically like, you could have run me over. And he goes, you're psychic. I figured you'd know and get out of the way. Way to roll the dice, Owen. <laughs> Owen's reckless and irresponsible. <laughs> he is not the Owen of the book. No. Now, there's, uh, we get to the finale. We have Jonesy uh, has opened the manhole of the... Byram is making its way, and thankfully, Henry has picked <laughs> up the gun and 
uh, channeling what will become his Punisher career fires wildly around the room. <laughs> this was my favorite moment was, in the movie. It was cool because you wouldn't expect someone like that to know how to how to sure. fire that weapon. Yeah, he has a it's semi-automatic <laughs> fucking rifle, and this thing moves. And my first thought was, oh right, these things are really fast. That's one thing. The Byram are super fast. <laughs> so it shows this thing rocket across the floor towards Henry and the look of shock on his face <laughs> as he just starts spraying <laughs> completely with no control. Hilarious. It's so great. Thankfully, it bites the gun so he can shoot it. That that worked out well. And um, they have this standoff between Henry and Jonesy, and he's like, tell me something that only Jonesy would know. And he starts to very slowly say no oh, bounce, no play. I hated that. It, it was the slow, no. Bounce. And he doesn't get to finish it, because just then, fucking the, the nearly dead Duddits bursts in the door <laughs> to become the hero of the movie. Duddits ex machina. Well, okay, so Josh, I was thinking of you to actually, the reason I'm a little confused is because I just watched you watch this. I did not watch, I did not watch the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, CM <laughs> spent the final five uh, minutes, 10 minutes of yeah. the movie just looking at me and then pointing at Josh <laughs> and then looking at Josh and pointing at Josh. <laughs> it's running man all over again. <laughs> it was. Well, because something that I, I really like that you pointed out in the book is just what happens with Duddits and how he he makes this journey, but it's sort of pointless for him. And he definitely has a very, very active role. He saves the world. And they tie that into, this is also what I kept confusing, is like SSDD is something, right? I was thinking mm -hmm. of the mystery being Mr. Gray and the save the girl, save the world, those save, things. Save this cheerleader, save the world. Yes. The, yeah. The things that they posit in the movie, like Duddits has been warning them of since childhood, since they met him, and they've just they've just thought he was talking about Scooby-Doo. Oh, sorry. It just made me mad all over again. Oh, okay. <laughs> because part of the book is that they all understand Duddits perfectly. They um, always understand yeah. Duddits. That's part of their connection. We go to these childhood moments where he says Mr. Gray and he's like, yeah, it's a mystery. Fuck you. <laughs> Writers. No, sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Okay, so I guess my question, I was wondering how you felt about not the execution, like if it worked or not, but just that they in this movie tried to make Duddits an instrumental part of saving the world. It's almost it's the be careful what you wish for this movie mm. monkeys pod me oh <laughs> <laughs> what a review <laughs> <laughs> because what i wanted is this the dream catcher scenario they're all in this this other connected world where duddits is the most powerful version of himself mm -hmm. to come in and be a hero this place where he where all of his powers can be fully utilized, not that he's not that he gets stabbed through the chest and then does the arm gesture for I Duddits and then transforms into an alien so that they can 69 stab wounds. It was very <laughs> sexy. It was very sexy. <laughs> and then they reverted to the womb mm -hmm. and exploded into dust. After point of order, 
Mr. Gray leaked out of Jonesy so that now Jonesy is fully fine. Everybody came. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody excreted. (laughs) (laughs) You made it worse. Oh, sorry, Ben. (laughs) That goes on the board is a word we don't say on this podcast. That's fair. No, um, yeah, I, I, I got what I wished for, but it was in the reverse way that I wanted it. I, I, this movie monkeys pod me is the most succinct way to put that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Is there anything we have not talked about that you guys want to talk about before we wrap things up? No. Did I mention that this movie was over two hours long? No, I want to go home and go to bed. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and rate this bad boy. Let's make it happen. I'll, I'll go first. I liked it. <laughs> it's a bad movie. It's a stupid movie. But I think it was probably just the the watching it with my buds factor. So I would say if you have a chance to watch it, watch it with some friends. Have a good time. A solid three out of five blue chambray shirts. I think that the actors, the cast make it really rewatchable mm-hmm. and they keep you engaged when you other otherwise might be bored or just like waiting for the movie to end despite how long it was and how I didn't really like the last part the whole chase thing I wasn't bored and I wasn't waiting for it to end I was in it with it the whole time there were also a few parts that I thought I thought were really executed well. And so that always gives me hope for some reason, even though it's done and over. I'm like, well, but maybe they can really capitalize on those and and make more of it better. That doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) But for that reason, I'm going to give it four out of five blue chambray shirts. I'll watch it again in a few years. Fair. This movie monkeys pawed me, (laughs) (laughs) but I would rather watch it than reread the book. So three out of five blue chambray shirts. That is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be covering another Patreon selection from Rachel Jansen, and she picked it. We are going to cover part one, chapters one through five. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander, reminding you, SSDD. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Dreamcatcher Part 4. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to Lisa Khan for selecting this story as part of our Patreon selection series. If you want us to read your favorite King book, head over to our Patreon and sign up for our $50 tier, or you can just send us a one-time donation of $50 and your book pick to our email. Please follow us on our Patreon and Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. We have a lot of new announcements about upcoming projects, and that's where you can keep up with us. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com because we love to hear from you, and we're currently having conversations with listeners that have been going on over email for years. Before I get to the haiku, I want to remind you guys to head over to oldworldbeardandskin.com and use the code DPR10 for 10% off your order. They are the sponsors of this episode. And they have amazing all-natural ingredients in their lotions and beard balms, and everything has a nice earthy smell. We enjoy them, and we know you will too, and that's why we're sharing this code with you. DPR10 at oldworldbeardandskin.com. 
and for the haiku for the movie Dreamcatcher. It's a mystery. He would paint the whole world red, chased down and destroyed. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.